Father, we're standing here this morning, and humanly speaking, we have no right to be here. We have no right to come into the presence of the Almighty God of the universe and ask for anything. But because of the precious blood of Christ, we are free. We are free, we are invited to come confidently to this altar, asking for your intervention in our lives, asking for strength, asking for grace, asking for forgiveness and comfort and strength. And Father, this morning I pray that we would treat this whole room as a giant altar on which to lay our lives this morning. We place them at your feet. We want to hear your voice this morning, Father. We want to hear you speak to us through your word. And I pray that in the next few minutes you will strip away everything that is not you so that we may know the truth clearly this morning. And more than know it, may it impact our hearts, may it change our lives, may it change our families, our relationships, the way we do our jobs, the way we spend our money, the way we interact with our friends. For everything is in Christ, for the Christ follower. We thank you for the truth of your word this morning. Make it powerful to us, Father. May we hear you today. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks, folks. You can have a seat. So this is the third week for us to be in the book of Colossians. We're making our way through. And Paul is talking in this little book. It's probably only three or three and a half pages in your Bible. Paul is talking about something that's incredibly important, but something that we don't really talk about too much. And that is our union with Christ. Our connection to Christ. And what we're seeing already in this first chapter and what we will see over the next eight or ten weeks as we work our way through it is that everything that we have and everything that we are comes out of this relationship. Last week, Pastor Tim was talking to us about the preeminence and the centrality of Christ. In those verses that he read, we read that, that Christ was the one who, who created all things. And it is by him that all things continue to be. A lot of people in this world have a very different idea of how the world functions and uh, how it stays going. We are, I don't know, is obsessed an okay word to use, hon? We are obsessed with home improvement and renovation and building shows on Hulu. And uh, Melody has plumbed the depths of Hulu to find them because we've watched everything that we can find. And now we're, now we're watching them from uh, Great Britain and Australia and wherever else we can dig them up from. And in Great Britain, they have levels of eco-friendliness when you build your houses. And if you can reach that top level 
Well, actually, you don't get anything. It just costs you a lot of money, and you get a pat on the back from the government of Great Britain is really how it works. But as we're watching it, they are obsessed, obsessed with the eco-friendliness of everything that they do. And friends, don't get me wrong here. I'm not saying we should abuse our environment. We shouldn't. We need to take care of it. God's given it to us. It is a resource that we need to use wisely. But the reason that this planet continues to spin is not because we are building in eco-friendly ways. The reason this world continues to spin is because the almighty God of the universe causes it to spin. Jesus Christ, the creator of heaven and earth, each morning afresh, though time is nothing to him, it's everything to us, each morning he commands the earth to continue to spin around the sun. And that's why it spins. He is before all things, and by him all things continue. That's what that means. And that's what we're seeing all through this book. Tim, the passage he was speaking on last week is really kind of the nutshell of the whole book. It's the key passage of the whole book. Because Jesus is everything to us. But the truth of the scripture is not meant to be merely informational. It is meant to be transformational. Okay? Do you get that? I want you to make sure that you grasp that this morning because that's the whole reason why Tim and I stand up here week after week and and teach the truth of the Word of God to you because it is not meant to be merely informational. It's not so you can just know more about the Bible and about God and about Jesus Christ. It is so that your lives might be transformed. And it is for that reason that when we come to each passage of the book of Colossians, we are saying, we are asking this question, what does it mean to be in Christ? It's not just enough to know it, but what does it mean? That is, what does it mean to me? What does it mean to my life? How does it affect the way that I live to be in Christ? How can we live in it? How does it change us? Two weeks ago, we talked about this fact. Because we are in Christ, we pray for other Christians. We don't take each other for granted, and we don't just go on our merry ways and make sure that we're doing what we need to do and have what we need to have. We're praying for each other. And then last week, Tim talked about the fact that because we're in Christ, we acknowledge that everything is wrapped up in Him. Everything we are and have is because of our relationship with Christ. And today, we're going to look at our third Uh, passage this morning and talk about this fact because we are in Christ we can live holy lives because we are in Christ we can live holy lives and I mention those three things to you right now at the outset because when we get to the end of this this morning in just a few minutes we're going to see how importantly these three things come together and what it is that God's asking us to do Now, in the last verse that Tim talked about last week in Colossians 1, we saw that Jesus reconciled all things to himself. That's Colossians chapter 1 and verse 20, and that's where I'm going to pick it up again. I'm going to read that verse 20 that he ended with, and then read the next three or four for you. So Colossians 1.20, jumping into it, it says, And through him, that is Jesus, 
to reconcile to himself all things, whether on, on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So what is reconciliation? Reconciliation is just being made right with God. Reconciliation is, is having your relationship restored. Have you ever been in a relationship with someone, whether it was a romantic relationship or just a, friend, a friendly relationship, and something has come between you, and that relationship has been strained? Has that ever happened to anybody? It's awkward, isn't it? It's uncomfortable. It's untenable, we might say. In other words, it can't continue this way. Something needs to be done. And that's what Paul says about our relationship with God. It has been broken, and that is untenable. It needs to be restored. And Paul is going to explain how that works here, and this is the track that we need to go down for a few minutes till we get to the point of the message. So bear with me just these first couple of verses, then I want you to see what Paul is really bringing us to here this morning. In verse 21, we see the need for a restored relationship. He says, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. Now, we might often say when we think about our lives, well, you know, I've, I've done a few things that I probably shouldn't, but God and I are cool. You know, we're okay, right? He's okay with that. I mean, he knows kind of it's just who I am. And no, no, it's not cool. It's not good. And it's not acceptable before God. None of us are acceptable before God. We've all been estranged from him, and that's just exactly what Paul says here. You're alienated, that means estranged, hostile in mind, hatred that's speaking of there, openly opposing and doing evil deeds. That phrase means producing or accomplishing things that are contrary to what God wants. By the way, I don't know if you've ever thought about your life this way or the things that you do on a daily basis, but every day we are all always accomplishing things. Now oh, I know you're shaking your head and say, you haven't seen my week. I don't get anything done. I'm not accomplishing anything. Well, actually, in a spiritual sense, you are always accomplishing something. The things that you say and the things that you do are either accomplishing things that push you further from God or they're accomplishing things that draw you closer to God. It's always happening. We're always accomplishing things. And Paul says that before Christ, we're always accomplishing things that drive us away from him. So there's a need for a restored relationship. Then he shows us that there is a way to a restored relationship in the first part of verse 22. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Jesus' re death restores the relationship, his payment from sin. The alienation can only be ended by Jesus, not by us. 
Now, I hope that you haven't had to do this, but maybe you have. Go back to those relationships that we have with other people that sometimes get estranged. Sometimes we get so estranged that we need a mediator. Sometimes you get to the point where you say, we, we, we can't do this. We can't talk to each other. We need a mediator, someone to come and meet with us and help us to come together and break down that wall that's between us. And that's our situation with God. Between me and God, it's become so strained that I need a mediator to come and bring me and God together again, and that mediator is Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says in 1 Timothy. There's one mediator between God and men, and it's Jesus Christ. And so that's what he does with his death. Because isn't it true that whenever there is a strained relationship between you and someone else, isn't it true that what is necessary is forgiveness? Is that right? Yes? No? Forgiveness, right? Something has happened, and somebody says, I want him to say he's sorry. Or I want her to say she's sorry. And something has to be done. A price has to be paid to make this right. And so Jesus is not only our mediator, he's not only the one that says, I'm going to bring you and the Father back together, he is also the one that steps in and says, and I will pay that price, whatever it is, so that this relationship can be restored. And that's what he does. There is a way to a restored relationship, and it is Christ. Now, remember our question that we're asking ourselves every week. What does it mean to be in Christ? I want you to notice in the last part of verse 22 that there is a goal of a restored relationship. It says, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach, before him. So the restored relationship, and we're really starting to get to the, to the meat of what Paul is trying to help us to understand here. So the goal of the restored relationship is that Jesus could bring you and me back to the Father, okay? That he can bring us together. Now the only way that we can come before the Father is if we are holy. Now, if you're a normal human being, sometimes you don't like to admit you're wrong. Is there anybody else in the room here this morning that doesn't like to admit that they're wrong? Or is it just me? Oh, me and Jessica and Anna. Thank you, Anna. There's three of us. Okay. I don't like to admit that I'm wrong. Ask my wife. Ask my son. I don't like to admit that, but I can. I don't like to, but I can. I'm wrong often, daily, okay? So we know we're not perfect. But Paul says if this relationship is going to be restored, I have to be holy. 
I'm not holy. We're not holy. The word means set apart as sacred or different. It means not common. And just in case you didn't get it, he says holy and blameless and above reproach. Where blameless means without fault. And the phrase above reproach is actually a a legal term. And it means not convictable when scrutinized. Now, I don't know, friends. I guess it depends on how good you are. How good a how good a hider and a camouflager you are. Because sometimes you can get away with things with certain people, right? Nod your head if you know what I'm talking about. If your relationships are not too close, you can get away with it and people will think maybe that you're something that you might not be, right? Paul is not talking about that kind of holiness. He's not talking about that kind of blamelessness. He's talking about the kind that if your life were to be scrutinized, there would still be nothing that you could be blamed for. Now, I'm hoping that you're at the point where you can realize that you are none of those things. You are not holy, you are not blameless, and you are not above reproach. I know I'm not. But Jesus is. And if you're not careful when you're looking at this verse, you can skip right by this part, and I don't want you to skip by it because it is so important, and it's so beautiful, and it's so powerful that you need to see it. Do you see what it says there in verse 22? It says that Jesus has reconciled you by his body of flesh, by his death. Here it is. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. Do you get that picture, friends? Can you picture this for me just a moment? Can you picture the throne room of God? Picture this vast hall with a giant throne and the whole place being filled with the glory of God. And of course, I don't know exactly what this looks like, but I sometimes think about the picture that Isaiah painted in Isaiah 6. And he said the throne was there and it was high and lifted up and the glory of God filled the entire place. Picture the throne room of God And picture yourself standing in it and ask yourself, do I deserve to be in this place? The answer to that question is no, I don't deserve to be in this place. But you're not in this place alone. Because Jesus Christ is standing beside you And he has his arm around you and he is presenting you to the Father. He is saying, here is Mike. And in himself he is not holy, he is not blameless, and he is certainly not above reproach, but I am and I am presenting him to you. 
I am standing here on his behalf because I am holy, Christ is saying. I am blameless, Jesus says. I am above reproach, your Savior says. And I am presenting him to you. That's what the word present means. The word present is a long Greek word that I won't say for you this morning because I'll probably mispronounce it anyway, but I can tell you this, that the prefix of that word is a little word para, P-A-R-A, and that word means very close beside. Jesus stands very close beside you to present you before the Father. You're not holy, but he is. And that is the goal of this restored relationship. So that he could present you holy before the Father. We are made holy in Christ. He is the one who does it. But I want you to notice that Paul is not finished here. There's one more verse in this section. And it is a critical one for us to understand. And in it we see in verse 23 the evidence of a restored relationship. Verse 23 says, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. Are you putting that together with the verse we just read? So what is Paul saying? Paul is saying that Jesus will present you holy and blameless and above reproach. But then verse 23 says, if you continue in the faith. What does that mean? What is Paul saying to us? Is Paul talking about a condition of our salvation? Is our salvation conditional? Or Jesus will save you if you continue in the faith. If you keep doing what was right, Jesus will save you. That's not what he's talking about. He's not saying if you continue, you will be saved. Holiness is not a condition of our salvation, my friends. Holiness is the evidence of our salvation. What he is saying is not, he's not saying, if you continue, you will be saved. Listen now, he's saying, if you continue, you are saved. You are saved. Our holiness is the evidence that Jesus has done his work in our hearts and he has made us new. You see, a true believer is a new creation. But that doesn't mean that we automatically have the power in and of ourselves to persevere and continue. And and I would say that it's probably no stretch to say that everybody in this room this morning that is a Christ follower would say, hey, there have been times when I didn't think I could keep going, right? Yes? No? I don't know if I can do this. In fact, I don't want to do this. I'm tired. I'm frustrated, I'm hurting, I'm lonely, I'm grieving, whatever it is. We don't have the power in and of ourselves to continue. 
But being a true believer in Jesus Christ means that we have the connection to the one who gives us the power to persevere. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this. Some of you may recognize it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Paul uses a phrase there that he uses in Colossians a hundred times. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. It is our connection with Christ. And look, back in verse 23 of Colossians 1, how that is described. If we are in Christ, then we will continue in the faith, that is to persist or to keep going. We will be stable, that is, having laid a foundation. We will be steadfast, that means seated or positioned or not moving. And we will not be shifting away from the hope of the gospel, that is, not moving away from it, not turning away from it. The holiness that must characterize our lives and the power to be holy comes to us through Christ. It is a result of our union with Christ. And so what we have here is a little bit difficult to understand, isn't it? Because on the one hand, Paul says, Jesus makes you holy, and he will present you to the Father holy and blameless. And on the other hand, Paul says, continue in the faith, Be steadfast, be stable, don't move, keep going. So which is it? Has Jesus Christ promised to present me holy when I stand before the Father? Or do I have the responsibility to live a holy life? Which is it? The answer is both both because we are in Christ we can live holy lives if you are in Christ you can live a holy life I live in the same world that you do and I know that it's difficult to be holy in this world And it's easy for us to get very discouraged. It's easy for us to look around and say, how can I possibly run a business honestly in this crooked world? For those of you that run businesses. How can I be an honest employee to my employer when when all of my coworkers are cutting corners and cheating? How can I keep my mind pure when there's so much garbage in this world? How can we expect our children to do what's right with all the trash that is swirling around us? How can I keep my speech pure when all I hear is filth? It's not possible. Folks, it is possible. It is possible. Paul commands it in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not as in my presence, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Paul says, listen, guys, 
You have a responsibility to work, to be holy, to strive, to do what is right. Work it out. How do we do that? Well, the very next verse is a promise. And it shows us this balance again. For it is God, verse 13 says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do you see that balance, friends? Do you see how both are so important? We are called to live holy lives. And because we are in Christ, we can live holy lives. Because he gives us the will and the power to do it. We see God's faithfulness. He continually reminds us of his grace. And he is the one who keeps us and sustains us. And he gives us the passion and the desire to pursue holiness. Now, a few minutes ago, I told you that we would see how these three things that we've talked about at this point in Colossians work together, and this is how I think it happens. Remember what they are? Because we are in Christ, we what? We pray for each other. Oh. You know what we need more than anything else is we walk out of here, we walk into this sin-cursed world with all of its filth and with all of its pain and with all of its vileness, We need to pray for each other. We need to pray for each other. That God would be at work in each other's hearts, not just our own. And I know life is so busy and it's so hectic and it's so difficult that we're consumed by all the things that are happening in our families and we need to take care of those things too. But friends, if we are going to do this, we have to do this together. We have to do this together. You take one of us and you separate us from the herd, and you put us out in the middle of that mess, and we're going down. We need to pray for each other. And we need to acknowledge that everything is wrapped up in Christ. Right? Living a holy life in this world takes so much focus that we can't be distracted by all of these other things that are happening around us. We have to remember that our focus is Christ, that he is the center. Paul says it a little bit different way over in 1 Timothy chapter 2, or 2 Timothy chapter 2, if you get over there sometime, you can read it. He says, a good soldier doesn't get tangled up in the affairs of civilian life. (laughs) And he's talking not about soldiers, he's talking about us. So because we're in Christ, we pray for each other. We acknowledge that everything is wrapped up in him, that he is the center. And we can live holy lives. This is what Paul is telling us. Paul is telling us, continue in the faith. Paul is telling us, stay steadfast. You can live a holy life in this world because you are in Christ. He gives us everything that we need. Friends, 
want to close our service this morning, we're going to sing one of our newer songs, Nailed to the Cross. I love this song. And as we do, I want you to think about the lyrics as we sing them, as you read them on the screen. And remember the words that Paul spoke in Romans chapter 8. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Our sin, our guilt, our shame is nailed to the cross. We are free to live holy lives. Let's stand and sing it together this morning. One more verse for you as we close this morning. This one comes from Hebrews chapter 10. Let us hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. There it is again. Hold fast the confession of our faith, my friends. Be faithful. Be holy. Stay steadfast. That is the challenge for us. And how can we do it? How do we do it? Because the one who has promised to hold us and keep us is faithful, and he will never fail us. We got to do this together, friends. We have to do it together. There are no successful Lone Ranger Christians out there. I say successful because there's a lot of believers out there that are trying to do it on their own. They're trying to, I don't need church, I don't need people, I don't need group, I don't need accountability, I can just do it. No, no. Let us hold fast the confession of our faith. The writer of the Hebrews goes on right in that passage and says, and by the way, don't neglect being together the way that some people do, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You know what day that is, right? The day when Christ returns, and guess what? This day today and the day when Christ returns, however long a time that is, it is going to be more and more difficult each day to be the person that God has called us to be in this world. So we need to do it together. Let us hold fast confession of our faith because the one who has promised is faithful father thank you for jesus christ we hear the challenge to be holy and we cling to the promise that jesus christ is faithful to be at work in our hearts and to give us the strength to choose what is right go with us this morning as a body as a group as a family Help us to encourage each other, to pray for each other, to cling to the centrality of Christ, and to live holy lives for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Have a great week, folks.